everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. A testimony of your story for His glory. Back by popular demand for part three of our extended conversation is best-selling author, nationally known speaker, and host of the wildly popular American Minute radio broadcast, highlighting the rich history of America and its biblical foundations, but also exposing America's enemies. My people perish for lack of knowledge, the Bible says. Don't be one of them. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome back to Testimony for this Part 3 exclusive, William J. Federer. Bill, welcome back to Testimony. Thank you. Bill, well, we didn't get enough of everything you had to share in our first two segments, so we need to continue. You've written two fascinating books, one of which we covered in two of our segments, which is Three Secular Reasons Why America Should Be Under God. But the second now is what I'd like for you to focus on for our audience here today, and that is what every American needs to know about the Quran. ISIS, Islamic Jihad, is ravaging the Middle East bill and seeking to kill every, quote, infidel, which equates to anyone that does not worship Allah, Islam, or his ways. Can you explain for our audience where this, quote, ideology of death comes from, its origins, and how it has infiltrated America today? Well, not all Muslims are violent. Matter of fact, the majority of of them are not, but some are. And those some that are violent and killing Christians, why are they doing what they're doing? They think they are following the example of Muhammad. And so all discussion of Islam goes back to Muhammad. He was the perfect Muslim that ever lived. His life is actually called the Sunnah, which means the way or the example. And so Muhammad's life went through three stages. And by understanding these three stages, we can understand those who are trying to follow his example. First, Muhammad was a religious leader in the pagan city of Mecca from 610 A.D. to 622 A.D., and he only makes 70 converts in 12 years. The people of Mecca drive him out of town uh, for disturbing the peace. He goes north 210 miles to the Jewish city called Medina. And the Jews are nice enough to let Muhammad in as a immigrant, as a religious refugee. They reject his faith, but they let him stay. He goes into the minority neighborhoods in Medina and begins to get a little following. We're familiar with the term of organizing in the community. And he goes back to the Jewish leaders, presents himself as a candidate of change, that he's a newcomer to the politics of the city. The Jews make a treaty with Muhammad, and now he is officially a political leader, in addition to being a religious leader. Then something happens. His followers in Mecca get pushy, argumentative, threatening, the way some of his followers are today. They get chased out of town for disturbing the peace. They go north to Medina, and Muhammad permits them to rob the caravans headed to Mecca in retaliation for the Meccans chasing them out of town. So where Jesus said, if they take your coat, give them your shirt, Muhammad's attitude was, if they take your house, you retaliate, take their caravan. So he had a whole chapter of the Quran revealed to him on how to distribute booty from robbing caravans. It's Surah 8, chapter 8. He gets a fifth of the booty. And so the Meccans send a thousand soldiers to protect their caravan in the year 624 A.D., and Muhammad with 300 defeats a thousand at the Battle of Badrab. This amazing victory, having been outnumbered three to one, convinces Muhammad to be a military leader. And he fights in 66 battles and raids in the next eight years before he dies. He even used the cat 
among them. So they got to be killed, too. So suicide bombers and ISIS killers say it's okay to kill innocent women and children to advance Islam because Muhammad did when he used the catapult at Al-Taif. And since Muhammad is the perfect Muslim, Muslims that want to be better, Muslims that want to be like him religiously, politically, and militarily. And so we see in the year 627 A.D., the Meccans send a 1,000 soldiers to protect their caravan, and Muhammad, with 300 warriors, defeats a 1,000. And uh, then he goes back into the city of Medina, and um, he... Uh, decides that he's going to dig potholes and trenches all around the city. And this renders the superior cavalry of the, of the enemy useless. And uh, so within five years of Muhammad coming into the Jewish city of Medina, there's not a Jew left in the city of Medina. They've been chased out, killed, or enslaved. And then within five years of Muhammad's death, every pre-existing culture in Arabia is wiped out. And then the Muslims conquered Jerusalem, which had been a Byzantine Christian city for three centuries, since Constantine. Then the Muslims conquer Syria, which was the first country to completely be Christian, evangelized by the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, Antioch, Syria, is where the name Christian was invented. And then the Muslims invade Egypt. Egypt was evangelized by Mark, that wrote the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it was Christian for six centuries until wow. the Muslim leader, Amir Ibn Alas, conquers it. And then there used to be 250 Catholic dioceses along North Africa in the 7th century. Now, this is eight centuries before the Reformation, and the Muslims conquer them. And then in the year 711, 80,000 Muslims cross into Spain, and in 10 years they conquer Spain because the Europeans are still fighting on foot, where the Muslims are on their Arabian horses and their stirrups and their scimitar swords. Muslims cross the Pyrenees Mountains. They conquer southern France. They're finally stopped outside of Paris at the Battle of Tours by Charles Martel, the grandfather of Charlemagne. And uh, so they go from Arabia to Paris in 100 years. Muhammad dies in 632 A.D., and they're finally stopped outside of Paris in 732 A.D. It is a military campaign. And so the ISIS killers today see themselves as establishing the Islamic State the same way that Muhammad and the rightly guided caliphs did. Now, Charles Martel's battle was important because he had the largest army in Europe at the time. Had he not stopped them, they would have conquered all of Poland. I mean, there was... Un and then we would be speaking Arabic right now because German, French, and English would have never developed as languages. So the, it takes 700 years to drive the Muslims out of Spain. Meanwhile, they come around the other side of the Mediterranean and the Turks convert to Islam. So the first Arab Spring was Arab and Persian, and it went from the Persian Gulf to the Atlantic Ocean. The second is the Turkish Spring, and the Seljuk Turks conquer into Turkey. And um, all seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation were wiped out by the Turks. And the Christians beg the Catholic West for help. And the, the uh, Pope was Pope Urban II. He goes to the Council of Claremont, and he tells these kings of Europe to leave the 99 and go after the one, and like Jesus said, and to go rescue these Christians that are being beheaded and killed there in the Middle East. And so they send help. It's called the Crusades. Lo and behold, that's what the Crusades were, was to fight the Muslim Crusaders. Wow. And um, there's nine major Crusades in 200 years. Richard the Lionheart led the Third Crusade, left his brother King John in charge of England. You know, the Sherwood Forest, Robin Hood stories. I, that was the Third Crusade. And I'm speaking to you from a city named after the guy that led the Seventh and Eighth Crusades, St. Louis. All right, St. Louis, Missouri. What St. Louis was the king of France, King Louis the Ninth, and he led the Seventh and Eighth Crusades against the Muslims. But when the Crusades end after two centuries, the Muslims pick up where they left off and they invade and conquer Constantinople in the year 1453. Now, two things about the Crusades: they help unite Europe because prior to then Europe was all divided, and 
had the Crusades not happened, the Muslims could have easily conquered Europe the same way they conquered North Africa and Spain, because Europe was so unorganized. Um, but 1453, a big important date. When the Muslims conquered Constantinople in 1453, it cuts off the land trade routes to get over to India and China. People forget Marco Polo. You know, the kids play around the pool, Marco Polo. Right. He went from Venice, Italy, to China in the year 1271. Works for Kublai Khan, the grandson of Genghis Khan. He brings back to Europe spaghetti, charcoal, gunpowder. Uh, talks about the Chinese making um, silk out of worms, thread from worms. The Chinese had plates made out of right porcelain called China. And the Chinese invented paper currency. Marco Polo was amazing. You could buy all this stuff with a piece of paper. And um, so Europe had communication and trade with India and China, but when the Muslims conquered Central Asia, a Muslim leader named Tamerlane that killed 17 million and had pyramids of skulls that he would leave, and then when the Muslims conquered Constantinople in 1453, it cut off the land trade routes. So in 1453, what was happened about 40 years later? Let's see, that would be 14, around 92, 1492. Columbus set sail. Why did Columbus set sail? He was looking for a sea route to get to India and China because the Muslims had cut off the land routes to India and China. Columbus thinks he's in India, so he names the people he meets Indians. Oh so we goodness. would never have called Native Americans Indians if it was not for the Islamic State. Oh my if it was goodness. not for Islamic Jihad cutting off the land routes. And Bill, I have to interrupt, let our audience know that they are listening to historian William J. Federer, founder of Merisearch Inc. and the American Minute Daily Broadcast. So Bill, you are a wealth of information and knowledge on the history of the Quran as it relates to uh, Islam, the United States. What are some of the other little-known facts that might surprise all of us, case in point, coffee, Santa Claus, or Dracula? Well, uh, coffee, when the Muslims surrounded Vienna, Austria in 1683, uh, they uh, had 200,000. Uh, they sent a uh, message to King Leopold saying, await us in your residence so we may decapitate you. Uh, the Pope asked for help, and the Polish king, Jan Sobieski, comes to Vienna's rescue on September 11th, 1683. Had the largest cavalry charge in history up to that date. 40,000 big Polish hussar horses charged down the hill. The soldiers had made wings for their back to make a lot of noise, and the Muslims dropped their weapons and flee. When Jan Sobieski goes into the abandoned Muslim tents, he finds these bags of beans coffee beans and realizes this was this new drink that allowed the Muslims to fight day and night. And shortly thereafter, uh, the Polish general George Franz Kleszowski opens the first Vienna coffee house. But they weren't sure if they should drink coffee because it was the Muslims' drink. So they took a cup of it to Pope Clement. He tasted it and said, this is too good to leave for the Muslims. Let's baptize it and coffee spread across Europe. Now, the word coffee comes from the Arabic word kafir, which means infidel because the beans came from Ethiopia, which was a Christian country. Ethiopia was in Africa, and it stayed Christian. And so the Muslims call the Christians in Ethiopia coffers, and so this is called the coffer bean, or as we say today, the coffee bean. So have you had your cup of infidel today? <laughs> but it's okay, Pope Clement said so. Um, but then the Ottoman Empire fell uh, after World War One. And the Muslim world had all these kings that wanted to be friends with the West because we had airplanes and they had camels. And uh, then the Muslim Brotherhood was started. 
And they said, stop being friends with the West. We've got to get back to conquering the world for Allah. So the Muslim Brotherhood wants to reassemble the Ottoman Empire and then take over the world. But in order to do that, they've got to get rid of all these little kings. And so they pull the rug out from the Shah of Iran. They get rid of Mubarak in Egypt. Our president takes out Gaddafi in Libya, and now they want to get rid of Assad. Um, uh, he, yes, he's a dictator. Dictators are bad, but the Muslim Brotherhood is worse because they want to set up this caliphate, this one-world government that's Islamic. And uh, Islam is a religion of peace, but their definition of the word peace is when the whole world submits to the will of Allah, there will be peace. So our definition of peace is just different groups getting along. Their definition of peace is world Islam, a religion of wanting to force the world to submit to Allah. Moderate Muslims think the world will submit to Allah later. Fundamental Muslims think the world is supposed to submit to Allah now. And the dilemma is the more we show weakness, the more the moderate Muslim begins to rethink. It says, wait a second, maybe the world is in fact submitting now. And so they gravitate from the future peaceful camp into the fundamental now camp, which is the violent camp. So all of our efforts, if, if there's Muslims beheading people and we do not respond in force, they say, hey, Allah's giving us the green light. Let's go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to William J. Federer, author, historian, and radio host of the extremely popular American Minute broadcast. You can learn more about Bill's amazing story and get his books, Get Educated, by going to AmericanMinute.com. Bill, thank you for sharing your precious time, your incredible wealth of information with all of us here. We look forward to what God is going to continue to do in your life to inspire, motivate, educate Americans everywhere, not only for the cause of Christ, but for the cause of freedom. Thank you, Bill, and God bless you. Thank you. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensen Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.